it's Flo, and this is my impression of a drill instructor directing a musical. Tailnut! Get those tap heels in line and let me see those jazz hands! Are you bundling your home and auto insurance through Progressive? Can you hear me through those sequins? Bundle your home and auto through Progressive and save. Left, 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 and step ball change. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates. Home insurance provided and serviced by other select insurers. I'm excited to just uh, crack open this this nice strongbow here that uh, I've been waiting to to sip on. My Ohio State Buckeyes won. My UCF Knights continue to suck the steamy turd. And uh, let's get down to business. Let's get some pro football in there. Absolutely. And what better way to start the show, of course, than our normal segment that we have every time at 10 p.m. Eastern time right here on the Mad Scientist Sports Lab. Joining us, as always, for Alley's Fantasy Alley, for all those that need to get ready for week four of your fantasy football season, or even for some daily fantasy on either FanDuel or DraftKings, who better to listen to than the lovely, the beautiful, and the talented Miss Alley Fontana. Good evening, Alley. How are you? I'm doing great. Welcome back. It's nice to be back on the show. Glad to see that uh, Andrew's uh, team came through for him. Last time we chatted, he was in a bad mood. Well, 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 Ohio State won, and that was the team I grew up rooting for, and they're number one in the country. The team I actually, the school I went to, still steamy turd and managed to lose to Tulane. But, but, on, on the good side, they did break 20 points this, uh, in this game. First time all year. Well, that's good. <laughs> Moral victories. Well, there's some big big fantasy news that hit the airwaves today. For everybody that knows, the uh, Baltimore Ravens won on Thursday night. Not really that big of a fantasy night uh, overall, unless you had Justin Forsett, even though he didn't put the ball in the end zone. 150 yards rushing is always a good thing. But the big news being that Steve Smith, uh, got injured during the game, but there's been some uh, conflicting information, whether he's got broken bones in his back or he's got four broken ribs, nobody really knows, but we can already tell you that he's ruled out for week five and possibly more. Allie, is there anybody on the Baltimore Ravens offense that may benefit from the injury of Steve Smith, or do you think that Joe Flacco, who the first three games 
seemed like he was throwing for 300 yards plus, but last well, last game only 189. I don't know. It seems to me that uh, with Steve Smith's injury, it's going to be really hard to come by, and uh, defenses are going to pack the box now on four set. Yeah, I mean, well, let's look at it. Uh, also, earlier in the week, we learned that Rashad Perriman had arthroscopic surgery uh, uh, on his knee, which then puts his timeline, you know, out with it like a sort of an unknown timetable to even get on the field. So he's not going to be helping the Ravens anytime soon. There was a trade this afternoon. Um, you know, one of the sort of things that was sticking in the craws of a lot of fantasy folks was that Brian Quick of the Rams has been in a healthy scratch for the last couple of weeks. And Jeff Fisher wouldn't say too much about it, just when is Brian Quick coming to the field? He's, he's healthy, but he's, he'll be ready when he's ready. Well, Fisher said this week that he expects uh, Quick to be active, and today they traded Chris Gibbons to the Baltimore Raven, uh, Ravens for, like a, I think it's a conditional seventh-round pick or something like this in 2018. Now, Gibbons flashed in 2012. He had... Um, several sort of, you know, he caught a lot of deep passes uh, from Sam Bradford. Um, and then, of course, the following season, Sam Bradford, we all had high expectations for Chris Gibbons in 2013. Bradford broke his ACL or tore his ACL in 2013 and then did it again in 2014. And so Gibbons was actually expected to not even make the Rams team this year but he was had the strongest preseason of any Ram wideout. But we you know there wasn't much going on there in a passing game in the Rams. So the bottom line is he traded uh, Gibbons to the, the Ravens, which I think could be good for him. I mean, he may not be able to contribute immediately. Uh, Kamar Aiken stepped up for the first time this season on Thursday night. He actually had a double-digit fantasy performance, I think 16 points in PPR or something like this. Uh, so they're really going. And then, of course, Crockett Gilmore, who was one of the tight ends that had kind of some early season productivity. He, unfortunately, had a calf injury. So everybody looked to Max Williams to do something, and he did absolutely nothing. Um, so it's, it is a bit of a mess there. Um, I think we'll have to see how it shakes out uh, you know, Flacco does what he can to make a, a lot out of not much or something out of not much, but um, it's not a great situation. I was actually glad, you know, I do watch the 22 uh, for the NFL, so I could see that Justin Forsett was actually running. He looked pretty much like the same guy from last year. It wasn't him so much as it was really a bad, you know, O-line and some other issues. But the bummer about Forsett is that Tressman is not using him as a pass catcher, and that's where you get value from a lot of these guys. And he he caught, you know, a number of balls last season. So we, when you draft Forsett to be your fantasy, you know, running back two, you're expecting some passes there, and that's what's really keeping him back. Because although he didn't get in the end zone, you get those extra points there, you know, for the for the catches, and they're just not using him that way. And it doesn't make any sense considering that they're so short on pass catchers. Now, now uh, let me ask you something, Allie. With uh, do you feel that because of the because of this now, 
that we have to worry about, no, we have to worry about, you know, Joe Flacco's numbers now being pedestrian because there are some people who probably were jumping on the bandwagon. No, I was not. I'm not one of them, Drew, so talk yourself off the ledge. But, uh, <laughs> but I got to ask whether or not it's possible that people are now going to look at Joe Flacco and either bench him or just cut him outright from their roster. Well, I mean, let's face it, unless you're in a deep league, I mean, I don't know many people that go and start Joe Flacco um, other than bye week or, you know, or in case of an injury type of thing. Or if you're in a two-quarterback league, um, you know, it just doesn't put up the kind of numbers on a consistent basis that uh, made made him sort of a fantasy starter. I mean, he was kind of a safe QB, too, but... I mean, you know, he's he kind of never really breaks, like, maybe the top 15, except perhaps during bye weeks and if the matchup's really great. So I think it's – I don't know that it's going to affect him any worse. We'll have to see. But I don't think it materially changes that he's viewed mainly as a QB, too. All right. Now, let's get away from the Thursday game. Let's we'll talk about Sunday's games coming up. We got – the 9.30 a.m., I can't believe I'm actually saying this, but the 9.30 a.m. game on Sunday with uh, the Jets and Dolphins playing out in beautiful Wembley Stadium in London. Yes, the sarcasm is just ripping off me when I say that. But uh, I got to ask, Allie, I mean, is, are, is there anybody key that you want to talk about for the very early game on Sunday, considering that people are going to be getting out of their bed, having a cup of coffee, turning on their TV, and all of a sudden, oh, wow, football, need to set my lineup right now. <laughs> well, I do think that it's important to say that, uh, I mean, you know, I think if you're playing Jarvis Landry, you continue to play Jarvis Landry. Um, you know, the, there's the Lamar Miller question. He's another guy that's actually looked good on the field, but Philbin and the coaching staff of the Dolphins just seem to want to do everything they can to make him irrelevant, um, you know, as a fantasy starter or even player or even productive on the field. I mean, he's not involved in goal line situations. They don't involve him in the pass game. So, you know, he's a guy that is best, you know, left in to get volume and get going. And, you know, he's getting maybe 12, 13 touches a game. So if you're looking for seven fantasy points, I mean, again, in standard scoring, if you're going to get seven fantasy points from Lamar Miller as a flex play, depending on where you drafted him, that's okay in a bye week and with so many injuries and uncertainties. But, you know, from a fantasy standpoint, he was drafted in the third round. Uh, by, you know, a lot of people at the end there. He was, you know, third-round ADP, so you aren't getting the value out of, uh, you know, Lamar Miller. I think Ryan Tannehill's been a disappointment, so some folks aren't really looking to uh, use Ryan Tannehill. But, again, with injuries to quarterbacks and bye weeks, you may be forced to suck it up. On the Jets' side of the ball, if Eric Decker plays, and that's a question mark, we don't know that yet, I would definitely use him as a wide receiver three. Um, and I, I also think that if Chris Ivory's a go, although he burned fantasy owners last week, that might have just been uh, Chan Galley being cautious. I mean, if they felt like they 
were behind and they weren't going to use him. They needed to throw the ball instead of run the ball, uh, kept playing against the Eagles, but they just kind of left him on the sideline to heal up another week. So, I mean, there are, there are relevant players there, uh, absolutely. Now, let's move on now to uh, to a couple of games that look like there's going to be some uh, very juicy matchups. Uh, let's look at Minnesota versus Denver. Uh, Adrian Peterson seems to be running with a purpose again to prove all the naysayers wrong. There have been people that said that he has lost a step. Uh, I haven't seen it. I know Drew hasn't seen it, but... Now you're playing, you know, Von Miller and the Denver and the Denver Broncos defense, which is a little bit, uh, which is a little bit of a, you know, of an upgrade as to what as to compared to what the uh, Vikings have been playing. Uh, just wanted to get your uh, viewpoint on AP. Do you see possibly 125 and two th- this week, or is this someone, or is it, or am I being a little too ahead of myself? Well, I think the thing is you're playing Adrian Peterson regardless of what his numbers turn out to be. Uh, you know, the Broncos have been stingy in terms of the yards per carry to running backs, but they are giving up TDs to running backs, and they also give up over eight catches a game. So, I mean, I, you know, have, if I have Peterson projected at, you know, 22 carries and, uh, you know, 90 yards, and a good chance for a score and three catches for another, you know, 20 to 25 yards. You know, I think that's kind of where you come in in a reasonable place. I mean, the thing is the Vikings don't have much going on on offense other than Peterson. So the smart thing to do was to make him the focus, uh, you know, of the offense. Now, they didn't do that against San Francisco, but they righted the ship the next two weeks. So, I mean, I think you expect – Peterson, you use Peterson, and if he gets your 18 to 20 fantasy points in a PPR, you walk away pretty happy. Okay, so, you know, we have a couple of running backs that we're expecting big things from. Obviously, Shady McCoy is out, so we have Carlos Williams in there. How much do you think, uh, do you think Carlos Williams is a must-start at this point? Or do you think he's uh, more of a flex option? No, absolutely not. If uh, well, if McCoy's already been ruled out, I mean, you're using Carlos Williams this week, and you know I have him in my top ten. Uh, he's going to get the volume. He's dynamic. Uh, you know, again, you kind of look at situations, and he's the guy that you're playing. I mean, they fortunately the Bills made it easy for us. Uh, we know he's. <laughs> We know Shady isn't playing, and he's going to be the guy. So uh, while the Giants have been a little bit stingy, again, I don't like to get hung up too much on yards for carry because it's really what you do with the yards you get. Uh, And, you know, if that means you're hitting the goal line, I mean, like I said, Williams is very uh, dynamic. Again, the Giants are another team that gives up a lot of catches to uh, running backs over eight. And I would imagine that Williams gets at least 20 touches. So, to me, he's a great start this week, and I'd use him without hesitation. Uh, Another player that has largely disappointed people, including myself, is DeMarco Murray. 
Murray was listed at probable at one point, has fallen back to questionable as his current status. Uh, if you have him, do you start him, period? Uh, I wouldn't. Uh, you know, again, it's all relative. You have to look at your roster. I'd be looking for other options. Uh, we saw what happened last week when he w- was ruled out. Um, you know, Matthew did actually there, – there are some issues still with the Eagles' run game, despite the numbers they put up last week. There was a missed block on the touchdown that Matthew scored, but I'm not taking that away. I think he looks like maybe the better kind of east-west runner for that offense than maybe Murray is. But I think that if you have other options, then, you know, take the week to see what actually happens with Murray if he is active. And also, if he's had this hamstring issue, it's very easy for a player to tweak the hamstring in-game. So, to me, take the week off if you can afford to do that. But I understand that, you know, with all the disappointments, because they've been uh, pretty significant in the running back uh, group, and also just uh, injuries, and, and now some bye weeks there, you may need to roll with Murray. But sit him if you can afford to. And how uh, much one do you more... think, Go ahead. before you hit... Before you ask, Drew, but how much do you think Dallas right now is smiling considering the fact that Philly wasted five years, $42 million, after DeMarco Murray pretty much like ran himself into the ground for that offense and knowing that he's not a fit for the chip kept for the chip offense? I imagine he's smiling, if I can tell you that much. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know about what Dallas is is thinking about, uh, you know, I think they're more concerned about the running backs that they have and whether they really have a between the tackle guys and the three that they've been running so far. And I don't think they have, they, they have that, uh, you know, in Randall McFadden or obviously Lance Dunbar, but it looks like, and just speaking of Dallas, we might get a look at uh, Kristen Michael this weekend there was much uh, sort of fanfare made among the Dallas press that uh, he was running with the ones this week, practicing with the ones. So we'll see, you know, if that comes to fruition. But I think really the Cowboys have enough on their plate to worry about, um, you know, other than what the Eagles are doing with DeMarco Murray. I'd really be interested in being inside Murray's head. But, of course, you know, the O-line of the Eagles has also been problematic. So, um, you know, there's still time for things to work out, but if if I drafted Demarco Murray, I would be concerned. Yeah, I'm concerned. <laughs> uh, I, I have one more running back question, and it's based on last week's performance. Chris Johnson had an outstanding, outstanding week for Arizona. Do you see a possible repeat against St. Louis? Um, if so, do you see any starting options for him? If not. Uh, what do you think? Chris Johnson? Chris Johnson, yeah. C- yeah CJ2K. Yeah, well, you know, actually, I mean, Chris Johnson actually ran with some fire and purpose and focus. and um, He looked hungry, which is something that maybe we haven't seen from him uh, in, in a number of years. Uh, Arians has said that he's going to be the starter. Uh, we don't know what Andre Ellington's status is. I think if Ellington fits out tomorrow, then, you know, you're looking at probably another 15 or so touches for Chris Johnson. Uh, I do like the matchup, and he's certainly a guy that I would be starting in a bye week. I think I have him, uh, you know, in – let me look at that. I 
sort of RB2 area. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I do like Chris Johnson. Uh, he's another guy that, you know, you kind of never thought you'd say he'd be starting <laughs> Chris Johnson again, but suddenly some of these blasts from the past have, have popped up. So, um, you know, how long it lasts remains to be seen. Um, you know, it does help that they have that fantastic uh, passing game going on. Uh, so I don't really see that there's a reason for the Cardinals not to use him, so he's going to be a thing, <laughs> even if some folks would rather he not be. All right, let's turn the, the gears a little bit towards the wide receiver spot. Uh, another player that had a strong, strong week last week, Keenan Allen from San Diego, plays against Cleveland, who in theory had a really good pass defense. In reality, not so much getting carved up by by Oakland. Uh, do you see uh, Keenan Allen putting together a similar a similar numbers compared to the last week where he just absolutely dominated with those two touchdowns? Well, you know what's bizarre? Keenan Allen has kind of had a very bipolar start to the season. You know, I mean, he had a huge game in week one and then an absolute dog of a game in week two, and then last week that fabulous game, um, you know, 12 uh, catches, uh, 133 yards and two touchdowns on 18 targets. Um, so uh, but the, the issue was that Philip Rivers didn't have a lot of time to throw. I mean, the O-line is absolutely decimated. So Allen was his go-to target for the quick hitters. And I do think that that's a possibility, you know, that that'll happen again this week. It's not like, you know, Joe Hayden's been beaten repeatedly so far this year, and including by Amari Cooper. So it's not like we need to be scared off for, for Keenan Allen. But the one thing that you would have to be concerned about is only that maybe the Chargers decide to run the ball more this week to get the O-line kind of back on track, since it's a little bit easier sometimes to run blocks and pass protect for a bad O-line. So, I mean, there's a bit of a roller coaster factor with Keenan Allen, but it's more to do with maybe, you know, the O-line. Like I said, they, they lost a number of starters, and that's really a scary proposition. But otherwise, you know, I think you use Keenan Allen. Like a lot of these guys, we don't know when the dud game's going to come. You just have to roll because you know that another week he'll be back on track. All right, next one. Is the era of Roddy White over? Is he done? from a fantasy standpoint? Uh, well, you know, last year in week four, everyone declared, and I don't want to go off on a Brady thing, it's just more or less a joke that Brady was dead. You know, in week four, we, we sort of, you know, kind of wrote the book on him. It does seem back-to-back weeks of uh, 0.0 fantasy points um, is, you know, not a thing. I would definitely say he's littered a lot of waiver wires in leagues that, you know, I'm in. So I think until we see something of signs of life, um, you if you don't want to drop them, then there are reasons why you might not do that depending on the league structure. But I certainly wouldn't play him until we saw something meaningful. But it certainly looks like, for all intents and purposes, that uh, Leonard Hankerson is the number two there. Okay, I've got a scenario for you, and and this this sort of only applies to my teams, but I already have contingency plans in place. I have Rob Gronkowski. I only have one tight end because Rob Gronkowski is the power of three tight ends. Uh, he's not playing, 
uh, who in the second tier of tight ends would I pick up to maximize that off time of losing Gronk? Well, a lot of people were touting, uh, I mentioned in the beginning, using Max Phillips uh, against uh, the Steelers because uh, he was supposed to be kind of a good fill-in. And, in fact, uh, he stunk up the joint. But a guy that I picked up and I'm using in a bunch of leagues this week happens to be Charles Clay. Uh, he, the, first of all, these giants give up a healthy 20-plus fantasy points um, a game to uh, tight end. And uh, with Watkins out um, this week, uh, it's another good week, a potentially good week for Charles Clay. He looked dynamite last week. You know, the wrap with Clay is that he has a hard time staying healthy. And he was a little dicey very early in the season. But uh, I, I really like Charles Clay if he happens to be sitting on your way of the wire. And the other guy that I think I might, you know, take a chance on, uh, I don't feel as confident because the Lions look absolutely awful on so many levels, but I do think Eric Ebron, um, you know, could be a decent play this week. The Seahawks sometimes struggle against uh, the tight end, giving up an average of about 15.2 fantasy points a game though it's tightened up a little bit, you know, perhaps with Chancellor coming back. But I do think Eric Ebron's kind of come through, at least in a modest way. But if you can get 10 points from a fill-in tight end, you should kind of consider yourself fortunate. And Kobe Fleener was the guy that, you know, I I just can't get behind Kobe Fleener. But, um, you know, he was maybe a better option if Dwayne Allen was, you know, going to sit out, but it looks like uh, I saw tonight that Dwayne Allen might play, so that kind of diminishes the, cho- the Kobe Fleener sort of sleeper appeal. Although the Jaguars do give up, you know, almost 14 fantasy points a game to the tight end position. So, again, he's a guy to consider in your league if, if you need a tight end. All right, I got uh, one more before I kick it back to Nick. I got one more before I kick it back to you. Uh, who's your dark horse? defense for the weekend? Okay, well, I mean, the dark horse is only that, um, uh, you know, I sort of do like the uh, Colts this week against the Jaguars. I, I do think they're kind of worth a look for fantasy owners. And uh, believe it or not, I mean, even the Oakland Raiders defense, if you need one, <laughs> hasn't been bad, um, you know, and going against the uh, Chicago Bears, you know, kind of the, the dumpster fire uh, situation there. So, I mean, they're kind of a sleeper defense. You know, some of those defenses work out. I mean, the Cleveland defense was supposed to be a great streamer last week, and they really didn't come through at all. So it's a crapshoot when you roll the dice with those streaming defenses. How worried do you think Colt, the Colts owners not Colts owners, but fantasy owners should be about Andrew Luck. Because it seems to me that we got um, very conflicting information that he's questionable to and they brought in Josh Johnson. So you have to wonder, you know, how serious that injury that uh, Andrew Luck right now. Well, I mean, even without the injury, uh, fantasy owners have been concerned about him. Uh, you know, aside from the fact that 
you know, they're another team that has very poor O-line. Um, you know, he's just had issues himself with just taking hits, um, making some bad decisions in terms of, you know, play, throwing the ball. Um, you know, he hasn't. He certainly hasn't looked like the guy that we saw for much of last season. So I do think the shoulder injury is a concern. He did work on Friday, and it does look like he's going to play. And the good news is that he's averaged about 25 fantasy points a game against the Jags over the last couple of seasons. So, And he does have some weapons around him. Uh, you know, it could be, if he was healthy, I'd say this is potentially kind of a get-well game, but you can't take it for granted with, you know, with him this year. I think, you know, we, you have to cross your fingers, obviously, um, with so many injuries to starting quarterbacks, losing Big Ben, uh, Roma, et cetera, uh, you know, and then Tom Brady being out this week. Uh, it's kind of an issue where we're, you know, now like licking our chops, so to speak, to start Derek Carr and Andy Dalton. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's kind of what, and Tyrod Taylor, that's that's what it's come to. So, I mean, you know, I think it's a little bit of a concern for sure. You know, hopefully it's not a long-term injury, but more importantly, we want to see some of the other issues get resolved. Well, Allie, thank you so much for joining us for your segment, as always, every 10 p.m. on Saturday nights right here on the Mad Scientist Sports Lab. Let the good people know where they can find you on social media. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Allie Fontana. Awesome. Thank you so much, and talk to you next week for week five. All right, guys. Good luck this weekend. I hope your teams come through for you. Thank you very much. Have a good one. You too. And that was Allie Fontana with her segment, Allie's Fantasy Alley, right here on the Mad Scientist Sports Lab. You can listen to her every Saturday night at 10 p.m. Eastern Time, 7 p.m. Pacific, giving you the goods for fantasy football fanatics everywhere. Well, Drew, what do you think? Did you uh, get the information that you needed for this week? Well, I've got a couple things to think about because I have DeMarco Murray and you know, I've been kind of toying back and forth whether to start him or not. And, and while I have backups for, for my tight end uh, when uh, Gronkowski's out and I have him on two of my four teams, uh, you know, I have Kyle Rudolph covering it or, or um, Larry Donald. So I have that second-tier guy. But she she's giving me something to think about because, well, that may not be the best option. And, and I only need a, need a, a sub for a week. So – uh, I, I've got a lot of thinking between now and uh, the game in London, which starts in an hour and 31 minutes. Well, I don't know if he's in London, but he's around usually 24 7, 365 when it comes to pro football. Ladies and gentlemen, you know the introductions that I give this guy. And I always give him the proper introduction. He is the godfather of professional football facts. He is the man, the myth, and the legend when it comes to everything and anything football. His website, Pro Football Guru, is one of the top websites to go for anything and everything football. He writes for NFL Spin Zone. He writes for Bleacher Report. He used to work for ESPN. He used to work for other major media outlets. I bow to the master as always. Ladies and gentlemen, the godfather 
of pro football, Russell Baxter. Luca Brazzi, how are you tonight? I'm doing very good. Thank you very much. But I won't be sleeping with any fishes because I know to give proper respect to the Godfather when I have to. So I understand. I totally understand that you're under like the you're you know you're under the gun with the various websites to write for. So we're going to do what's called for this segment cold hard football facts, in which we'll give you some quick hit, give everybody some quick hits with regards to uh, what's going on. Uh, we mentioned in our previous segment, Steve Smith, the injury, whether it's four broken ribs or two broken bones in his back. What have you heard, and how serious could this injury be for the Baltimore Ravens? Well, enough to, uh, enough to already rule him out for the game against Cleveland in, in, in over a week. And, uh, you know, we're still kind of waiting to see what, we're, what we have from Brashad Perryman. I remember, you remember, you know, Torrey Smith and Owen Daniels left via free agency this offseason. So, you know, Ozzie Newsome, you know, not surprising. Brashad Perryman and Max Williams, uh, the tight end from Minnesota, were their first two picks. Um, you know, they were relying on Crockett Gilmore, who got off to a good start but uh, got hurt, um, didn't play this week. They, they used a bunch of tight ends against the Steelers. Um, but not having Steve Smith there, and listen, he brings more than just catches to a team. And, uh, you know, that offense – which finally got the running game going, you know, four weeks into the season. Um, probably have to rely on a little more. And listen, I don't rule that out. Their offensive line is one of the best in the league. Um, but Joe Flacco, you know, sacked five times the other night, a couple of turnovers. Um, their defense has been sporadic. I think that's the best way to describe it, Nick. How do you, how do you almost explain you go into Denver and you don't give up an offensive touchdown, and a week later you give up 37 points to the Raiders? I'm still trying to figure out the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde uh, notion over there when it comes to the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, Moving on to Carolina versus Tampa Bay. There's been a lot of chatter already about Cam Newton. Now we're we're only three games in. I already know, but there's already a lot of chatter saying that if Cam Newton can continuously put up numbers and bring Carolina another division championship, that he has to be in the conversation for the NFL MVP or at least Offensive Player of the Year. Again, we're only three games in. But if he continues up this pace, do you think that that he has a legitimate shot? I, I think that, you know there's a to me a big difference, Nick, between Offensive Player of the Year and MVP. I think he would be more suited for an MVP type award than he would Offensive Player. Offensive Player is really the guy who puts up monster numbers. You know, as we saw last year. Um, you know, Aaron Rodgers is the MVP, but DeMarco Murray was the Offensive Player of the Year. He led the league in total yards from scrimmage, 1845 on the ground, et cetera, et cetera. So it's two totally different awards. I, I don't think of him as an Offensive Player of the Year candidate, but you see what he does leadership-wise for that team. And the biggest difference between Cam Newton last year at this time and Cam Newton this year at this time is health. Uh, remember last offseason, recovering from ankle surgery. Um, then he you know, cracked his ribs in the preseason against New England. He didn't start against Tampa Bay in, in uh, week one. Um, you know, he had a new receiving core. You know, in December, he gets into a car accident. Um, and Derek Anderson has to start for me. Ironically, Cam Newton missed two games last year, Nick. Um, both were against the Buccaneers. Uh, this is who they play this week. So, and, you know, another battle of, you know, 
first overall pick quarterbacks with Jameis Winston and Cam Newton. Uh, but I, I would lean more toward an MVP type of award um, for Cam, who's playing without his, you know, his big receiver from a year ago, uh, Kelvin Benjamin. Uh, but they're finding ways. Their defense is very formidable. I love the Jared Allen pickup. I thought that was a great pickup for them. My last question for the rapid-fire cold hard football facts before I pass it over to my co- cohort, Andrew. Uh, Oakland versus Chicago. If Oakland wins, they're at 3-1. and one. Yes, you heard me correctly, people. If Oakland wins, they go to 3-1. and one. I understand you're playing in Chicago, but with no Jay, Cut- with no, uh, Jay Cutler at the helm, it is that the possibility exists. And uh, Derek Carr looks like the real deal. Latavius Murray looks like the real deal. Uh, Amari Cooper looks like the real deal. The defense is actually holding together. Always probably seeing the turning of the corner, which people have been waiting for for so long in Oakland, or are we just looking at a product of a schedule? No. Uh, well, listen, the, the Raiders were 3-13 and 13 last year, okay? So, I mean, I, I don't go much into schedules to begin with in the NFL. I think it's the way you play. It's how you play. Um, you know, not who you play. It's how you play them. And, listen, they won a shootout with the Ravens, uh, which was probably a big surprise. Uh, They went on the road. They hadn't won a road game. They had lost 11 in a row going back a couple of years on the road, and they went in and played very balanced football against the Cleveland Browns. Um, So, uh, you know, if I would have told you before the season that they were going to beat the Ravens, I don't think, regardless of where the game was, I don't think a lot of people would have given them a chance. So you, you you look at your eyes. You look at them offensively. And they have great balance. Their line is pretty decent. Um, a Cooper and Crabtree have been, both been tremendous. Um, Latavius Murray, uh, you know, terrific back, young back. Defense, still question marks, though. Um, you know, they, they got five sacks um, last week in the win in Cleveland. That was the good news. Um, the bad news is they had five sacks all season because they didn't have any in the first two games. And that was a big problem for them last year. Okay? They only had 22 sacks, which was as many as – Justin Houston, uh, they only had 14 takeaways last year. So, you know, if you're not going to be a dominant defense, you've got to be able to pressure and, and create turnovers. And we'll see if they can do that against the Bears tomorrow. So uh, I don't think it's a product. I'm not much into schedules. I mean, unless, you know, unless the Raiders are playing Alabama and Georgia and Notre Dame, then I'll talk about schedules. I guess it's my turn. Drew Brees, uh, coming back too soon or right on schedule? Oh, I don't know. I mean, listen, he, he, he made the throws in practice. Um, you know, it, it, it'll be hard. To, the, 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 listen, the, the problem with Drew Brees, healthy even, last year was turnovers. And the problem with the Saints for more than a year now has been defense. So, um, you know, they play a Dallas team doesn't wow you with defense either. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, guess, I guess for people who were looking forward to the uh, Brandon Wheaton-Luke McCown Bowl, um, we'll be a little disappointed. Uh, but, I mean, listen, Drew Brees doesn't miss. The first game he missed, that was the first game he missed since the last game of the 2009 season, and he wasn't hurt in that game. They sat him out, and they went on to win the Super Bowl that year. So, um, you know, I don't have any medical background on him to say it's too soon. I guess we're just going to have to judge. I mean, he gets a little extra time. It's a night game. It's at home. Oops, that's right. They don't win at home anymore, do they? No, no, they don't. And, and apparently the Raiders now went on the and, road. <laughs> they don't win much of anywhere lately. So if you really think about it, I mean, this is a team, um, you know, that's 7-12 and 12 in its last 19 games. 
All right, second one. Current standings would have the Jets and the Bills going to the playoffs as the two wild cards. Do one, both, or none keep that spot? So, in other words, you're you're giving me the playoff scenario after three games. I, as of as of twenty as of twenty four well twenty seven hours from right now, would they still be five and six? In other words, can they win and keep that spot? Well. <laughs> You know, the, the NFL is kind of funny. You know, they kind of require you to play 16 games. They don't usually ask for the playoffs after three. But, uh, well, listen, 1982 is an exception. Well, that was – but that was at least nine games, Andrew. I mean, come on. <laughs> oh, come on. I wanted to make you at least a little uncomfortable. Oh, really? That's your goal? Well. Your goal uh, is to make me uncomfortable? Am I, Give me working? about ten minutes. I'll make you uncomfortable. How's that? <laughs> Jeez, uncomfortable. Ooh. Um, Listen, they're both very improved football teams. They're both very similar in what they do. They both have outstanding defenses, and that's from back to front. Okay, there are a lot of teams that have good front sevens. Um, You know, but the Jets went out and rectified that cornerback situation in a big way. And it wasn't just Darrell Darrell Rivas. They brought Antonio Cromartie in. They brought in Buster Scrine. Remember the Jets last year for all the, you know, the Geno Smith criticism on defense. They gave up 31 touchdown passes and only had six picks. I mean, those are crazy numbers. Um, They also only had 13 takeaways last year, Andrew. Um, They have 11 already this year. Defensively, they didn't play all that bad against the Eagles last week. And, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick throws three picks. Um, Brandon Marshall was having a a flashback from the the Stanford-Cal game um, from 1982. I was still trying to figure out what he was doing. Four turnovers. Remember, one of the uh, Eagles' uh, touchdowns came on special teams with Darren Sproles. Buffalo, if they can stay out of New England's way, they might be the greatest uh, defense in the history of the NFL. Um, (laughs) But you, you saw they physically beat up the Dolphins. They physically beat up the Colts, and they got out-foxed, out-coached, and just about out-everything against New England. Um, So, listen, Miami's a little bit of a disappointment early on. Buffalo made a big statement, I thought, going on the road and doing what they did. But, I mean, when you ask a question like that, the thing to keep in mind is you got to think about the rest of the conference, okay? you you got an AFC North that has sent two teams to the playoffs six of the last seven years and three teams to the playoffs – two of the last four years. Um, the AFC South, you can't get much more balanced when all, t- all four teams are one and two. Um, you, know, you just asked about the Raiders, or Nick asked about the Raiders, where they stand. So uh, I think both those teams are on course. Um, you know, Obviously, the Bills come off a 9-7 and seven season. The Jets come off 4-12. and 12. Um, Could we see those two teams in the playoffs? I think absolutely, because they have the right formula. That ability to run the football – um, that ability to play defense, and in the case of the Bills, I think somewhat surprising, wouldn't you say, about Tyrod Taylor's play so far? And the thing you have to like about him is it's, he hasn't been a dink-and-dunk quarterback. He's thrown that ball downfield a lot. I really like Tyrod Taylor. Uh, I did not expect him to, to really develop into a, into a working NFL quarterback, but I, I, I'm sold. He, he's not going to be the single man to win you a game but he's not going to lose you a game either. I mean, you take out that New England game where he threw the three interceptions, uh, but 
you know, even then the team was in the game until the very end. You know, they came back from, from the deficit, they closed it and, and made it respectable. He still threw for over 200 yards. I'm very impressed with Tyrod Taylor. I, it, it's just the system is right for this guy because he you know, he kicked around for a while beforehand. Well, I mean, he came into he came into Buffalo. He had never started a game. I think he had played in fourteen. He made fourteen appearances with the Ravens for for 199 yards in 14 games. The other thing about to keep in mind with the New England game with all the interceptions was the pressure that they got on him. Um, he got sacked eight times in that game. Okay, pretty, you know, eight, that'll create a lot of turnovers. I'm surprised he didn't cough up the football in terms of fumbles a little more after being sacked eight times. But they hung in there. Um, you know, Percy Harvin's been a good addition for them. Um, Sammy Watkins is, you know, we, we expect to see him, you know, even more this year. They've got some injuries in that regard. Uh, the guy who has been, and I'm not surprised by this because, um, not only did Buffalo pay him big money to get him away from Miami, but he's been kind of an unsung guy in the league the last couple of years is Charles Clay, the tight end, um, who has big playability and, and really kind of took it out on the Dolphins last week. Yeah, and I, I like Clay. When, when Cleveland lost Cameron, I was hoping they'd get Clay, and they didn't. Uh, I'd like to point out those eight sacks, those are the only eight sacks. Uh, he's been able to stay upright most of the, the other two starts, so – I have good hopes for him. Third question, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers unfortunately fell victim to the uh, to the Scobie attack. They cut him away. Uh, Jeff Reed coming out of the woodworks, sign me, sign me, please, for the love of God, get me out of this hell. Is Jeff Reed a good fit for the Pittsburgh Steelers? Well, I mean, his parting of the ways with him were, was not very good, and the Steelers went out and cut Josh Scobie today and signed another kicker. Um, I don't think Josh Reed's played in the league for a couple of years. Uh, I remember yeah. he had a falling out with the Steelers. He went out in San Francisco and so on. So, you know, I don't know what Jeff Reed's football future is at all. Um, but the Steelers, unfortunately, have gone through more kickers than the Rockettes this year. Um, you know, they lost Garrett Hartley to injury, and he was already replacing Sean Swisham, who they lost to injury, and now the Scobie, which cost them a draft pick. Um, so, yeah, i I got to be honest with you, I, I don't know if – Jeff Reed's going to be playing in this league anymore. I, I understand the desire and all that, but um, it, but if this this newest kicker for the Steelers fails, I'll, I'll never say never in this league. Well, you know, I, I've always wondered what kickers do when they're not, you know, act, actively kicking. I wonder if they all get together in a sports bar, watch all the games, and root for the other kickers to fail miserably, because this is the one position that people just they just crawl out of the woodwork uh, of opportunities to come back in the league. Pittsburgh ends up signing uh, a, a guy named uh, uh, Chris Boswell, spends a week in 2014 on the uh, Texans practice squad, and that was it. Uh, so a guy well, they brought in really a knows much of. They brought in Randy Bullock, who was cut by the Texans this week, um, because he had a rough go of it, and I think the Texans signed Nick Novak um, to replace him. And so it wasn't surprising. Listen, uh, they, the Steelers, unfortunately, what are the odds that you, you know, how often do you see your, you lose your kicker for the season and then the guy you bring him in to replace, you lose him as well. So, they, I mean, I would call that pretty unfortunate. And Scobie, who, you know, obviously had his, you know, some good times with the Jacksonville Jaguars, um, you know, is easy to see apparently. And listen, Pittsburgh is a tough place to kick, okay? But they didn't seem like there was a lot of confidence in him once they picked him up. So, it just turned out to be a you know bad move 
um, by that front office because you know even in the pre even in the short time that he was there, um, you know it, it, they were hesitant to have him kick extra points. That's why they went for two so many times. And it, it cost him at the very end, but you know you can't put the full blame on on Scobie there because the defense gives up that last second field goal to even go to overtime in the first place. Listen, there's, I, a, I there's a lot of blame to go around in that game the other day. You know, they gave up 150 yards rushing to Justin Forsett. Um, I think some of the play calling, but not only by by Mike Tomlin, but John Harbaugh in the in the, in the fourth quarter in overtime. Um, you know, there were a lot of strange calls on fourth down. You know, everything from, you know, quarterback sneaks by Joe Flacco to, you know, throwing a ball on fourth and one, um, you know, that went, I, I think somebody in the stands caught it, um, but it didn't go for a first down. So there was a lot of, there's a lot of, and, and guess what? In every football game, there's a lot of blame to go around. We Sometimes we want to center it uh, on one person and so on. But, you know, the only time you get blamed for losing when you're one person is, is handball or bowling. Blame the coach. Somehow it's always come back to him. So coach is always held liable, regardless of whether it was or wasn't. Yeah, well, I mean, unless Mike Tomlin's going to start kicking field goals himself, I mean, you know, like I said, I, I think some of his decisions were were an issue. And then, you know, to not let him try again, shoot, you know, it was almost like after they didn't let, didn't let him try the field goal, the 50-something yarder, um, you almost felt like he was cut right there and then. Um, but it, it was it was an odd, strange game. But hey, listen. The bottom line is the Steelers are up twenty to seven in their own ballpark in, in that game. They sacked Flacco five times. They got two takeaways, and they couldn't close the deal. And what it did do, though, is keep a very, very unusual streak alive. And it's already done this week, where we saw another team blow a double-digit lead. If you go back to the beginning of last season, you go through the four weeks of the playoffs, and each of the four weeks this already. There have now been 25 consecutive weeks in which at least one team, and there have been weeks where it's been five teams, have blown a double-digit lead and lost the game. Well, actually, mind blown. I, gotta, I know. I got to tell you, back as always, a pleasure to have you on. I know you're running on a couple of tight deadlines. So we'll let you go. Why don't you let the good people know where they can find you on Twitter, Facebook, and once again, tell them all about your website, Pro Football Guru. And tell them about the T-shirts. Always about the T-shirts. Uh, uh, now, wait a minute. You said tell the good. Can I tell the bad people, too? Ah, you can tell the bad people, but I always like to keep uh, with you. I always want to keep people with the good. <laughs> yeah, I got you. Well, first things first. The T-shirts are in a little bit of a hiatus because we're, we're going through a new design, and uh, we might come out with some colors this year. Um, but you know, you'll, you'll probably see them later in the year and still raising some money for American Cancer Society. So, uh, you know, we, want, we didn't want to do the same thing that we did last year with the white and the blue. And so you were just looking in a different direction. As far as finding me, Bax Football Guru on Twitter, ProFootballGuru.com um, is the website. But you can find us on ProFootballGuru. You can find us on Tumblr. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. Um, you can find us on Bing Bing. You can, you know, we're in a lot of different places now. Google Plus, uh, for people who follow me on LinkedIn, we, put, you know, we post our pieces on there as well. Um, and of course, Bleacher Report, which has been great to me, and NFL Spin Zone, which is really up and coming. Um, you know, it's been a, a fast start this year. I just put out my latest piece on Spin Zone, which is something I do on Saturdays called, uh, you know, Five Must Plays in Fantasy Football, and it's it's a chance for 
not only make you, I not only make picks, but I tell you why I make the picks and back it up what we what I think is substantial numbers. Awesome. As always, a pleasure having you on back. Definitely have you on in the not too distant future, and hopefully for a little bit longer next time. I, but again, we understand how much of a busy man that you are, especially during the season itself. So have a good one, and uh, good luck to you. All right, Nick, Andrew, you guys have a great night, and continue to good show. Thank you. We'll see you later. And that was Russell Baxter, the pro football guru himself. You wanted to make him feel uncomfortable? Are you out of your mind, man? <laughs> well, it kind of fits the show. You know, you don't you, you you can't have the same old same old cookie cutter. So so you got to find a way to make a man uncomfortable because that's where you learn something. Well, I, I, I need to, I need to get a little better at it though because I apparently did not try hard enough. Well, I can understand where you're coming from, considering the fact that this is a 2015 What a Fan Online Media Podcast award-winning show. Yes, I know, I will continuously, shamelessly plugging that until my dying day. Uh, Speaking of which, we, you and me, have to come up with three nominees for 2016 in various awards. I happen to have someone in mind... I'm going to make that announcement next week uh, live. No, 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 no. no. We we got to keep that under wraps first. We got to get that past the screen board. Uh, The the Podcaster Association, American America Association of Podcasters, does not approve of leaking names. Who said I was nominating a podcaster? Remember, we have three nominees in many, many categories. I happen to have one in my mind for NFL Fan of the Year. I will be talking to that person this week so I can get his blessing to make that announcement here live on air Saturday night, and hopefully he will be a guest as well. With regards to podcasters, there are so many to choose from, and it's absolutely sickening that I oh, would thank not you. know. You're far where... too kind. <laughs> You're far huh? too kind, Nick. You're far too kind to speak so highly of me. <laughs> oh, to be a fan of the year. Oh, you're not talking about me, are you? Not even close. Womp womp. But, but 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 don't tell Terry that. Oop, the cat's out of the bag. Oh no. Anyway, it oh, all no. oh uh yeah, it the only thing I could think of about that the price is wrong, bitch. Damn it, play the sound. Oh, there we go. Oh, I, I did not I I've been too high. Oh. There you go. Confidence. Double trouble for the for, for the prior, for, for the uh for you right there. Well, just oh to let everybody know, in all, seri- in all seriousness, since we won our award, we we have been granted by What a Fan three nominees in various different categories for the 2016 What a Fan Awards, which are going to be held in Los Angeles next year. We can pick NFL Fan of the Year, MLB Fan of the Year, NBA Fan of the Year, college football, tailgating, podcasting. It, what do you call it? There are so many, even kid fans, there are so many, many to choose from. It's pretty mind-blowing 
that, you know, that we can do something like that. Like I said, I have someone in mind for NFL Fan of the Year. I would not be surprised if Andrew has someone for for Podcaster of the Year. We're probably going to be delving into the archives to see who we can nominate for any other Fan of the Year. But I will tell you this. We will nominate the right people because we are very big in the What a Fan community, and it is basically what we do for the fans, by the fans. We do this because we are fans ourselves. So I guarantee you whoever we choose will be the right choice. I would not be surprised if we go three for three for 2016 awards, uh, award winners. I would not be surprised at all. That's a very bold statement. That's a very bold statement. But like <laughs> you said, it's gotta, we we, we got to keep it within the show. I mean, this is what we do. We make bold statements, and we go into dumpster fire mode when, we, when we're dead wrong. But, hey, that's part of the stick that we have over here at the Mad Scientist Sports <laughs> Lab. There's a reason why they called me mad, and not because I'm brilliant. But anyway. You, you, wait, wait, Nick, Nick, is it? Is it is it because you're rooting for Notre Dame and thinking they had a chance? That will be discussed at the eleven thirty hour, please. Thank you very much. That'll be part of the uh what do you call it? News of the week, news of the day, news of the hour, news of Notre Dame getting plastered by Clemson and Clemson right now, which I am not happy about. Hi Kyle. Anyway. But um I sense a little anger here. A little hostility. Let people just to let people know that 11:30 we have a new segment that we're going to be debuting tonight. It's going to be a fun segment. It's basically just me and Andrew. We're going to be talking about the news of the week, but we're going to be talking about it with our spin. Basically, there's going to be a lot of ranting, raving, and railing, especially on a couple of topics that are near and dear to my heart. With that being said, we're about to start the second half of our show, and we are not only being live right here on Blog Talk Radio, but we also happen to be live on Arena Sports Net number two. Our good friend Brian Snow is playing our show live on his outlet right now. Again, that's the Arena Sports Network. It's called Arena Sports Net 2, so very happy with that. Brian happens to be uh, one of the many, many stations that syndicate this lovely little show that we have over here at the Mad Scientist Sports Lab. Our syndicating partners include I-95 Sports and Entertainment Network, led by Bobby Garanti, War Room Sports, led by Devin McMillan, Jimmy Williams, and B. Austin, Happy Hour Network, led by Lee Vowell, Ted Hicks, The Arena Sports Network, led by the aforementioned Brian Snow, Die Hard Sports Radio, led by Steve Itzkowitz, Sports for Fans, led by Sean Stewart, Nuts and Bolts Sports, led by Joe Cardozo. Late Night Sports Radio, led by Keith Grieve. Draft Utopia, led by Chris Ransom. The Asylum Sports Network, led by the Ricks, Fleeger and Briggs. RF Sports Radio, led by Rodney Fisher. And debuting tonight, K Radio Sports, led by Marquise Lee. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a lot of networks. As I said, we're going with the second half of the show, and I'm psyched. I, I, I couldn't, can't believe that I actually got these people on the show this week. I'm a big fan of independent wrestling. 
Now, a lot of people are like, independent wrestling, what's that? It's not WWE. We're throwing that in the garbage because that's exactly what it is, garbage, except for a few select wrestlers that came up from the indie scene. There's this organization that's up in Canada right now. They only started back in 2012. The first match that I saw, which was on their YouTube channel, was the Young Bucks, Nick and Matt Jackson, versus the Super Smash Brothers, Player Uno and Player Dose. There's some history with those two tag teams because they fought in one of the main independent organizations in California, Pro Wrestling Guerrilla, a.k.a. PWG. And when I saw that match on YouTube, I was instantly hooked on Smash Wrestling. Absolutely instantly hooked. The amount of cards, the amount of wrestlers, the amount of talent that goes through there is like a who's who of the independent scene. Their champion right now, Johnny Gargano, you've seen probably on NXT on the WWE Network. Kevin Steen, now known as Kevin Owens. Uh, Kyle O'Reilly with Ring of Honor. You saw the world's cutest tag team, uh, Candice LeRae and Joey Ryan. They have their own heavy stable led by the overdogs of uh, Sebastian Suave and uh, John Brooks. There's Facade, Chris Hero, Rich Swan, Drew Gulak, Biff Busick. The names go on and on and on. The man on the phone right now has put this all together, and dare I say it, he has created... EWG of Canada. I am very honored and humbled to have on our show tonight Smash Wrestling CEO, the head man, the head honcho, Mr. James Key. James, how you doing tonight? Hey, uh, it's uh, doing okay. I'm just we're on the road here to North Bay, uh, Ontario, Canada, for one of our uh, next shows. But uh, I want to thank you for having me on. Uh, I'm looking forward to chat with you guys. Now, where did the idea of Smash come from in 2012? Like I stated, you're only three years old, but you're literally, besides Alpha 1, you and you and Alpha 1 right now are 1A and 1B in the Canadian independent scene. Matt Jackson, as I stated earlier, posted on his Twitter feed a couple months ago that you guys are the PWG of Canada, which is really like a total order. And the amazing thing is, is that your product night, week in, week out, whether it's on your YouTube channel or the highlights from your past cards or the free matches you put up there, a lot of people have gotten hooked. How did Smash Wrestling come about? Uh, it was It's just one of those things that I think you eventually, you know, you, you watch other uh, promotions and you watch other companies and, and you start to say, hey, this isn't exactly what I, I would like to see or this isn't exactly, you know, how how uh, we think things should be done. And, and there's really a bunch of us here that, you know, we all uh, take each other's advice and, and things like that. And we, we listen to each other and we come up with the ideas and, and we put it forth. And, you know, it, it starts somewhere, uh, you know, you just have to go out and do it. And then eventually, uh, if you're, I, I would like to think if you're doing something right, it snowballs, right? So uh, it really just came about, you know, one guy wanted to see things a little differently and, it went from there. Now, you travel pretty much all over Canada. You're actually in the, hitting London, Ontario uh, in, a, in a few weeks. Um, Ontario, you know, obviously, you know, 
one of the bigger provinces in Canada, for, you know, first time you're hitting there and everything. What's the mindset of not only you, but the talent right now, knowing you're going into London, you got your something different card that's coming up, you got the AAA guys coming in November. I mean, you're bringing in Aerostar, uh, a whole lot of Phoenix, a whole lot of them. So how is it evolving on a card-by-card basis? Uh, I think, like, it's funny you mention that because I think it's always, you know, you try and keep things uh, fresh and new. And and I think we do that on multiple levels. One, we try and have engaging, interesting storylines that'll that'll engage our fans and keep them hooked because, uh, you know, the, you want them to, you know, always wonder what's going to happen next. And, I mean, the talent is super excited about the places we're going, both uh, geographically and theoretically. I mean, you know, with us launching our on-demand service this year, but, like, and, you know, we were one of the first in North America to really uh, go ahead and do that. Uh, and we've experienced great success with that. So that's, uh, you know, people are excited for that. Uh, starting to travel more, going to London, Ontario is huge for us. There's a, a thriving pro wrestling fan base in London, Ontario. Uh, and our champion, Johnny Gargano, who, as you mentioned, is on NXT. He'll be there. Uh, you know, Jennifer Blake, who uh, Girl Dynamite from Mexico, she'll be there. Um, you know, there's there's just so much excitement around right now. It's actually unbelievable. Like you said, the Lucha Underground guys of Drago and Pentagon Jr. will be there November 7th. Uh and, when, and the more things like this happen, the more the, the roster gets excited, the more the staff gets excited. Uh, and the excitement shows, I think, through uh, our product when we, when we put it out there for people to enjoy. Your last card, which was the Canusa Classic, had probably the 2015 not only female match of the year, but definitely a candidate for match of the year with Courtney Rush and Jessica Havoc. I, I watched the match on Smash on Demand, which you can get seven ninety nine a month. Yes, that was a shameless plug for you uh, on Smash Wrestling. But I watched that match from beginning to end. Now, as for all those that don't know, the Canusa Classic, this is the third year. It's the best female wrestlers from the United States. It's the best female wrestlers from Canada. And they will have some big names for Kimberly, uh, Candice LeRae, Vanessa Craven, Courtney Rush, Jessica Havoc, uh, Jennifer Blake, uh, you name it, you, you name it, it was uh, uh, Xander Bale, I mean, it's just absolutely amazing the talent that you put together for these shows. The USA actually won, the, had already won, but the match went ahead, and oh my God, these two ladies pretty much took each other to the limit, and I, 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 a lot of people were screaming when I watched a live match of the year, I was screaming match of the year from my computer screen. I keep, how do, what do you call, how, you got you got to ask yourself though, how do you top that, especially when you know Girls Night Out would, you know, or give Divas a chance or whatever other female cards you're going to be putting as well. You know, how are you going to top something like that? Uh, how do we top it? Well, first of all, I want to say that you're probably correct and it, it is, uh, probably in the selection of match of the year candidate. And I'm not, that's not tooting our horns. That's tooting the horns of the, uh, the two competitors in, in that match. Um, they were fantastic. Uh, you know, it's, it's, you, you can ask the question, how do you top that? But I feel like we asked that of ourselves again, not trying to be as humble as possible. 
we try and ask ourselves that every show. I mean, there's there's always something that we look back and we go, wow, that was awesome, you know. And then and then there's kind of that, you know, 35 to 45 minutes of fear, like, oh my god, what are we gonna do to top that? I mean, we felt that way coming out of the Young Bucks and Smash Brothers, like you mentioned, and you know, we coming out of Chris Hero and AJ Styles, we felt Chris Hero, Samo, like Samoa Joe. There's there's numerous moments um, that you're like, you know, how are we gonna improve on this? And it's just a matter of you know staying enthusiastic and, and being creative and, and, and not always jumping to your first idea. You know, we, we have a thorough process in, in what we do. And, and I think that is a, a large benefit uh, in the long run. So, you know, it's uh, you got to put trust in, in your ideas when you get one and, and put effort behind it. And I think that's, you know, if you put the effort behind it, people notice. And that's, you know, what's really important. Now, Going back to uh, Johnny Gargano, um, you know, everybody knows the storyline for those that follow Smash Wrestling about Fourth Gun and everything like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Then Busick, he had just signed with uh, WWE, so he's not a part of Fourth Gun anymore. But you bring in Chuck Taylor, one of the kings of the independent scene. Now with Johnny Gargano being on NXT, he doesn't have a contract yet with WWE as far as we know. But what type of... Uh, fine line now is it that you have to cross when it comes to Johnny's uh, appearances at, at Smash? Uh, well, John, Johnny and Smash Wrestling, I mean, there's no uh, fine line you have to cross, really. I mean, uh, at the end of the day, it works for us if he shows up on NXT. That's fantastic. I mean, it's more eyeballs on our champion, and that's uh, always a benefit. Um, I mean, yeah, he's he's busier, and I mean, that's a good thing. We, we never would want it any other way in a way you know what i mean like yeah i mean maybe sometimes he's unavailable for our shows but we're happy for him this is his dream these are things that he wants to accomplish and he's having the ability to do that now and you know we from our our point of view we couldn't be more proud so um yeah i mean like i said it sucks that you can't have him as often as you want but uh the the good far away is the bad now your tag team scene has been amazing. I mean, you got some tag teams there as the aforementioned with the Super Smash Brothers, uh, the Overdogs, the Goat Brigade. I mean, the tag team match between the Smash Brothers and the Goat and the Goat and the Goat Brigade that took place uh, a couple of cards ago was another match of the year candidate. The tables, uh, table, the the, uh, the tables, ladders, chairs match. You know that rivalry. That rivalry is still going, and you got some other up-and-coming tag teams. I mean, you have, you know, within your organization, of course, you know, you always have the specter of Fourth Gun as well. Is it eventual that Smash Wrestling may have a tag team title scene coming soon, or is that something that right now is still being worked on, or just conjecture? So. I'll, we get asked this question a lot, along with if Smash Wrestling is going to ever have a women's title. And I'll, I'll give the absolute honest uh, to God answer because uh, I don't want to treat uh, any, I never want to treat anyone who asks this question as, as uh, give them less than an honest answer. And that's, it, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense really from a functional standpoint for putting on the best shows possible. And what that means is we could have a tag team championship but with only so many matches on a show and you only have so many shows a year, you know, we don't have the luxury of 
four or five hours of TV a week like WWE does. So um, it would actually be a disservice to a lot of the tag teams out there and a lot of tag teams you want to work with because you, you kind of paint yourself and book yourself into a corner uh, where you have to you have to book the same teams every show, uh, either whether it's because you have to book the champions or you have to book uh, an engaging story involving another team that people get invested in. So it's, it's a catch-22. While we would love to, you know, make sure the tag teams are recognized in a, in a way, just as we do the women with Canusa, there are other ways to do that, and we're totally exploring those as options. Uh, so I hope people understand, you know, and we, I mean this wholeheartedly, we give the same answer, we stay consistent every time. It just, it actually does a disservice, we believe, to have tag team titles at the moment. Now, earlier this year, you know, Chris Hero did something for charity. He spent three hours in a wrestling ring going against various members of the Smash family. Uh, yeah. Brent Banks, Tarek, Rich Swan, uh, Facade. Uh, there were like nine or ten guys that were like out of the ring. And it was one of the best wrestling clinics that you could ever see. And the amount, you know, the amount of punishment that Chris Hero took just to raise money for charity was absolutely amazing. How did that come about, and how did you get, how did you get this all set up, and get all the wrestlers that participated to uh, take part in such a in, in such an event? Because I have to say, I what do you call it? when you posted uh, when you posted that on YouTube, and I I watched all three hours of it. It was amazing that Hero was standing at the end. But the genuine the, the genuine feelings that the wrestlers had in the sidebar interviews of saying when they got picked that they were doing it for charity, I mean, it really felt like it came from the heart. Outside of Tarek playing the idiot that, that he always does, but that's <laughs> for, every, for, uh, for every day. But, you know, it, 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 what do you call it? It seemed to me that that was one of the best things that Smash Wrestling could, could have ever done. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, one of our uh, loyal fans approached us with um, the, the idea that he wanted to do something for charity. Uh, and it started off as like a small concept, and it really just kind of grew until, you know, like, well, if we're going to do something for charity, like, let's do something for charity. Like, let's let's really, uh, you know, hit it out of the park. And so we did the, the Chris Hero Samoa Joe main event, which uh, Joe was awesome, uh, you know, even helped out with some charity work. Uh, Chris Hero was the one who came to us and said he wanted to do this and he wanted all the money to go to charity. He didn't take a pay for this. He donated everything that was raised to charity. And, uh, you know, he wanted to show that, you know, he could, he could uh, put forth that kind of effort for a good cause. And, and the people there, I mean, they were there, they volunteered their time to do it. Uh, and it was, it's weird because uh, people who donated were allowed to come, but it was kind of off the beaten path at a school. And, some people made it out. Some people didn't. I think there was maybe 10 or 12 people in there, but it made it made it that much more special, that much more cool because it was really intimate. And you knew being in there, like there were times where you got chills because you knew what was happening. You knew he was going to make, uh, make it into a three-hour uh, epic. And, you know, what what more can you say about Chris Hero, not just as a performer, but as a, as a human being? Well, all those guys, you know, uh, Ben Orman's uh, facade, Jason Kincaid, Sebastian Swab, Brent Banks, Tarek, you know, as – not even as performers, but as human beings, uh, you know, it's it's quite awesome to see contribute to something like that. And it was 
so cool to see with such a success. Now, I'm going to go back to Tarek for a second. Is it is it possible that it could be said that Tarek right now is possibly the most hated person by Smash Wrestling fans on the roster? Because I remember watching when he came to the ring and they were throwing literally toilet paper at him. Like, you know, it was one of the, A, it was one of the most hysterical things I, I, I saw, but B, the genuine hatred that these fans have towards him. I mean, you work the heel role very, very well. It all, you know, it all started when he screwed Matt Cross out of the championship. His war, the, what do you call it, the, the uh, I quit match with Matt Cross, another, you know, another match that he ended it right there. I mean, the genuine hatred between those two and that feud was absolutely intense. So, I mean, is it safe to say that Tarek right now is maybe the top heel on your roster? Oh, absolutely. I would say that without a doubt. I mean, if you go back and watch the the video from Challenge Accepted where uh, he makes his return and uh, helps screw Matt Cross out of the Smash Wrestling Championship, uh, they were the fans were literally throwing chairs at uh, Tarek and Alex Shelley. So, uh, it's actually kind of crazy. It was uh, one of the crazier moments we've ever had. And he it just goes to show how good he is at being an agitator. Uh, you know, and he, and he has, as, as that character, he has the same qualities as a lot of the, you know, the agitators in, in pro sports. You saw like the, the Sean Avery's uh, of the world, because I'm a hockey guy being here in Canada. So, uh, you know, very similar in terms of, of that attitude. And it gets on people's nerves. And he's really good. At, at rolling with it and uh, the more he does it the more hated he is the better it is for us now another wrestler we've seen offices of lately has been the aforementioned Courtney Rush I mean what do you call it? I remember a couple of years ago watching her when she first started at Smash Wrestling happy go lucky you know one of the you know what do you call it? even though she was like a battler in the ring but as time has gone on You've seen the change, and the change was complete after what happened, you know, when uh, her hair got cut in the middle of the ring by Cherry Bomb, and the promos that led up to the Canusa Classic were absolutely epic. Uh, It Mm. seemed like she literally lost the plot, but she really didn't. And the match with Jessica Havoc pretty much proved that she could possibly... She could possibly be the top dog in the, you know, in the locker room for the females. And uh, just wanted to know, what are the plans now for Courtney Rush? Because we know about the unfortunate injury that Cherry Bond suffered in uh, her ma- one of her matches in the United States, where she's going to be out for a significant period of time with a broken collarbone. So that storyline now has to be put on the back burner. Is there anything that you may want to share with this, with about Courtney Rush now, or are you keeping stuff under wraps for uh, for a later date and time? Um, I will say that Courtney Rush is probably the uh, hottest character uh, coming out of Smash Wrestling at the moment. Uh, a lot of talk about what she's been able to do and what she's been able to portray. As far as what's in store, and if the uh, story, like the whole chair, I can't. No, no one said it's on the back burner, and I, I can't uh, comment on what is in store for Courtney Rush, but uh, I do implore you, keep watching, keep paying attention, because 
there's a lot of cool stuff coming uh, your way in regards to Courtney Rush and uh, the next couple months. So keep it locked because it's going to be uh, quite the cool ride. Now, one of the last uh, one of the last uh, IP you know uh, IPPVs that you had you know or on demand that you had you had Kansas Lorray win Go for the Gold, which was a monument which was monumental in which she you know she pinned Tyson Dukes in the middle of the ring. She fought Johnny Gargano tooth and nail to the very end, in which she did not come up with a victory, come up victorious. A lot of people have been wondering whether a female wrestler will ever hold a major male wrestling championship. Is it possible that it's not out of the realm of of the impossibility that Smash Wrestling may actually be at the forefront or something like that? Because it seems to be teased that way. Whether it will be Candice LeRae, it could possibly be Courtney Rush, it could possibly be Vanessa Craven. But, you know, people were wondering whether it was going to happen that night. I think a lot of people thought it was going to happen that night, me included, I'll, I'll admit that. But would you think that, it was, that something like that would happen, whether it be in Smash or another indie organization? Uh, I think it's entirely within the realm of possibility. To tell you the truth, there were moments that I thought they had switched uh, the finish on me. Uh, during that match, and that's a testament to how good those two perform uh, at Super Showdown 3. Um, if, if it happens here, then great. I would love it for us to, for us to do it. Uh, again, everything in this business is right place, right time, and you know that's the long and short of that end. But I don't, I don't think it. I wouldn't be shocked uh, if it happens sooner than later. Last question before we we let you go because I you know being that you're traveling to the next show and everything like that, what do you see for Smash Wrestling in, for the rest of this season for the rest of this year and beyond? Where would you want Smash Wrestling to be in say 2017 2018? Uh, it's it's hard to say. I mean. I don't, I don't really want to look that far ahead because then we're not enjoying what we're doing right now. Um, but in two or three years, I mean, I would love for On Demand to, to continue to grow. Uh, I would love for us to uh, do some cool things in terms of uh, venues and, and production. So, and, you know, there's already plans to, to put some of that in place. So, I mean, all I can say is uh, we just want to keep growing. We just want more people to enjoy it. We just want more people to have fun with us. We just want you know, the crowd to get louder, the, you know, the lights to get brighter on us, you know what I mean? So, uh, and we want to do some more traveling, I think, um, you know, London's going to be a good start and we're going to, uh, I just can't wait to go places. That's, you know, and, and just have fun along the way. That's Well, I will say this. I would love to see you guys play at the old, uh, play at the old Maple Leaf Gardens. I think that would be one of the <laughs> ultimate spots for you guys to do. Now, for all those that don't remember, when the Toronto Maple Leafs played it, played at the old Maple Leaf Gardens, the old WWF used to go up there and pack the house, and you know, with about mm-hmm. fifteen thousand people there. It's not the same arena anymore. It's now just your hockey rink with a couple of thousand. But still, the aura of doing something at that venue. I think for me, 
would be at the top one of the top things on my bucket list if I were if you know if I were you know if I happen to be in charge of an organization like that. I do hope yeah. you that you get to that point because I remember when ROH uh, did there they only got they only got a thousand like a thousand to fifteen hundred fans. But knowing that if it's a if it's a Canadian organization like Smash, I really feel that you'll be able to pack the house because that's how good your organization is. That's how good your talent is, and that's how much how much I support your organization. Well, I honestly, those are super kind words, and and the, the we, we can get there one day. It's we can. It's just a matter of uh, you know. Uh, everyone just spreading the word and letting people know. And I mean, uh, it, it would hold a special place in a lot of people's hearts. Our, our senior referee, Jimmy Corderas, got his start there. Um, I went and used to watch playoff games with my, uh, with my dad there, uh, you know, well, at least. So it would be an absolute honor to be there. And, you know, that's definitely something to strive toward. Absolutely. Well, James, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Again, I am a huge fan of Smash Wrestling. I follow you guys like a religion. I pay my $7.99 a month just to be sure to go to watch the uh, On Demand and all the cards that you have. Let the good people know where they can find you personally on social media. And please, plug Smash Wrestling to the point where you're out of breath. <laughs> all right. Uh, you can find us uh Facebook.com slash Smash Wrestling. That's... Uh, kind of the go-to point for all your news and updates uh, or smash-wrestling.com, our home website. Uh, on Twitter, I, I'm generally the one behind the Smash Wrestling Twitter, which is at Smash Wrestling, or my own Twitter, at James Key Smash. Uh, on-demand service is only 7, uh, it's only 749 a month, actually, U.S. Uh, On-demand.smash-wrestling.com. Everything of our show's a week after they uh, happen live, you can see them on demand at ondemand.smash.com. Please give it a try. It's a two-week show. I'm sure you'll get hooked. Uh, give it a shot. Thank you so much, James. Really do appreciate it. And uh, good luck to you at the card next week. And, again, very big fan of your, of your organization, and I will continue to support Smash Wrestling. And that was James Key from SmashWrestling.com. You guys have to definitely watch it, Andrew. Uh, so, what'd you think? Uh, it's an in, he's got a, an intriguing story. Uh, the fact that he decided he wanted to change how it was done and, and went and did it, and and I think that's pretty admirable. You know, you decide you want to do something different, and then you go out and actually do it. Uh, really cool. Uh, I I was impressed with him. Well, let me tell you something. Like I said, the power of YouTube these days, you know, really, you know, takes everything to the next level. And when I saw that wrestling match on their YouTube page, I instantly got hooked. And I found their website. I started, you know, started watching some of their matches, some of their highlights and everything. I decided to take a shot with, the, you know, getting Smash TV. And I'm never disappointed. I mean, even if it's like from the first match to the main event, everybody goes pretty much balls to the wall. And I really, really enjoyed 
having him on. I really enjoyed listening to his stories. And, again, I'm a very big supporter of independent wrestling, not just Smash Wrestling, but there's also Alpha One, AAW, AIW, PWG. Uh, there's so many of them. I can't even, what do you call them? can't even, like, freestyle. There's so many of them right now. And I really... I really do feel that these are the type of organizations that will succeed. Now, I know for many wrestlers, they want to get to the next level, which is the WWE and everything like that. But let me tell you something. If you look at a tag team like the Young Bucks or someone like Chris Hero, guys that have been in top organizations that go back to the indies, they do pretty well for themselves. Just saying. Just saying. (laughs) Well, now it's time to have some fun, because now it's time for the News of the Week segment. So, Drew, what's on your mind? Well, well, let's start at the very top, and uh, let's go to some baseball. And, and, you know, I caught this actually as the show was going on. I thought it was really funny, and I thought it would be, you know, worth at least just getting a, a quick yuck about. Um, there was a GoFundMe campaign put together to raise money so that Steve Bartman can go to the wild card game for the Chicago Cubs. <laughs> uh, the fact that Cubs fans want to send Steve Bartman to a playoff game, it shows that they don't want to win. They like losing. And, and, and Bartman uh, declined it, but still the principle behind it in the fact they want to send uh, a guy who is so vilified amongst Cubs uh, faithful, I- I'm a little bit of a loss at that, Nick. I, when I heard it, I just shook my head and I said, why, why? Just tell me, tell me why. Why do you want to subject yourself to that torture? And... I mean, was it their way of extending an olive branch to Steve Bartman saying, hey, we want you to come to watch a playoff game. Don't worry. You're going to be safe. No one's going to remember when you pretty much screwed us out of a chance of going to the World Series. I mean, it's just mind-boggling. It really is mind-boggling when an organization would do something like that and when people actually put together a crowdfunding program to pay for this guy to do it. I don't get it. I just don't get it. You can you can crowdfund anything at this point. I mean, I could probably put a crowdfund out there to, to give me money to go buy something stupid. Uh, to go buy, well, beer's not stupid, beer's life. Um, to buy something unusually unnecessary and dumb. Uh, but I can't think of anything unusually unnecessary and dumb right now. So you get my point. Let's move on. <laughs> uh, well, I can a couple think more of something before... un- uh, unnecessary, unnecessary and dumb. FIFA. Oh, yes. Uh, I, and, and I was going to hit that, but might as well jump right in. Uh, we're, we're seeing all-out war now in FIFA. It is now Seth Blatter versus the sponsors. Uh, Seth Blatter reneging on his agreement to to step down as FIFA president because he believes he did nothing wrong, despite criminal investigations going on 
against him. And now you have uh, companies like, well, the McDonald's, was it Coke? Uh, it, you know, it's starting to get ugly at Coke, McDonald's, Anheuser-Busch, and Visa have all called for Blatter's immediate res- resignation. Nick, do you think that the sponsors have enough clout to finally get this evil, evil little man away from FIFA and, and maybe, just maybe the glimmer of hope that this awesomely corrupt organization can be salvaged? You know what? I'm going to say yes. But I say that with trepidation. Yes, you're going to lose advertising money, especially when those were four major advertisers of the World Cup. However, FIFA has enough money stashed away that they can probably withstand losing a lot of advertising, yet they will go out and gain advertising elsewhere. What bothers me more is that all of a sudden now that FIFA was like, oh, we are now kicking out Jack Warner because of what he did. Duh. Well, Jack Warner in CONCACAF was the reason why certain parts of the country got what they got with the World Cup in advertising. Jerome Valky, gone. Okay, we knew that was going to happen. One of the guys that wanted to run for FIFA president, Michelle Platini, who's the head of the European part of FIFA, was apparently paid money, which comes out 10 years later, in which FIFA tried to explain it, but, you know, there's a lot of, like, gook behind that as well. Yes, I'm saying gook because it is ugly and sticky and slimy, just like the whole aspect of it. Look, he's going to resign. Whether it's tomorrow, next month, or 2016, he's going to resign. He's going to leave. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. The problem I have is that the whole organization is so corrupt that I don't even know you can, you can repair it. I don't think anybody can trust it. I don't think if even Blatter resigns, these advertisers, the big-name advertisers, are going to come back. they got nobody to blame but themselves. They thought they were bigger than the game. They thought that, you know, they are the game. They're not. But FIFA's not the only corrupt organization. Wouldn't be surprised if CONCACAF, which is part of FIFA, was corrupt. Africa, there's a lot of stuff going on there. Europe, there's a lot of stuff going down there. Russia, you name it. It is like the festering wound that will never, never, never heal. And it's sickening. Horrible. You know where I'm going with this. But I'm going to I save do. it for another I'm going to save it for something else. All right, so let's move on, Nick. Uh I, I think we put that one to bed that, that FIFA equals corrupt. Uh but a couple there's a couple guys out in the sports world who are, are getting their comeuppance, uh who are getting what they deserve for doing something wrong. First one, Warren Sapp pleading guilty to domestic violence. Uh, I'm surprised it took this long for us to, for well, we kind of knew it, but for the rest of the world to realize this guy is a punk. He's a royal punk. And, and 
the fact that uh, it took so long for the uh, what was it, the NFL Network to finally can his ass uh, was just just terrible, terrible, it's terrible. Uh, you know, when it comes to Warren Sapp, he's like the drunk uncle that, you know, always finds a way to get in trouble. And when the NFL Network fired him, I actually said, finally, something actually happened to finally maybe get rid of this guy for good. This is a guy that has declared bankruptcy. This is a guy that got caught for prostitution. This is a guy, but yet still somehow had a job and everything like that. But when it comes to domestic violence, you know, that's when people finally listen and people say, oh, my God, Warren Sapp is a really, really bad man. Well, <laughs> let's, hope, let's hope that this is the end of the Warren Sapp error. And we can all move on to the next du jour topic when it comes to the NFL. Oh, by the way, speaking of, this was the first month in six years they didn't have an arrest. Holy poop on a stick. Yes, in September of 2009, this is the first month of, the, of any year there was no arrest in the NFL. So congratulations, player of the NFL, players of the NFL. You have been clean. But you know who's not clean? Irving Fryer, former NFL player, sentenced to five years in jail for a mortgage scam. Uh, getting what he deserves. His mom, uh, who was also in on it, getting, I think, a, a three years probation. Uh, see ya. I know. I was actually I – actually, I think people were in shock when they saw that, though, that it took six years for the NFL not to have – and a, re- a, a month where they, nobody got arrested or in trouble or anything like that. Kudos to the NFL for finally behaving. Yes, I am dripping sarcasm in saying that. Next up on the docket, please. Next up on the docket, let's go into college sports, where Larry Brown has had the hammer dropped on by the NCAA for uh, lots of illegal recruiting violations. SMU basketball, banned for the postseason. Uh, Larry Brown suspended nine games. This is not fair. This is not fair. My school did less and got a worse penalty. I hate, and I don't use the word that often, I hate the NCAA and how they actually handle things. They are as, they're almost as corrupt as FIFA, for crying out loud. They're terrible. Uh, they're absolutely ridiculous. They can't handle anything on the level. Uh, they lie, cheat, and steal. And this is another case of not giving the guy proper, you know, punishment for the crime. Larry Brown's a – where does he go and not get in trouble? I mean, this is what he does. Uh, you think SMU has a top 25 basketball program in two years, in basically two and a half years by magic? No, we've seen what comes out of SMU. Uh, it's called the 1980s and football. Uh, so there's no surprise that something, you know, going wrong. Uh, but academic fraud is such a, a topic that the NCAA tries to ignore uh, North Carolina. Enough said. Uh, this had academic fraud in, it in which uh, a person was doing all the schoolwork for, for, for an athlete. Uh, that's a no-no. Uh, it drives me nuts that the NCAA claims that they should have no enforcement over academic fraud. Uh, Nick, we've talked about this before, and, and I – 
I've talked about it on my old shows. I've talked about it pretty much everywhere. The, the NCAA, unbelievably in denial about academic fraud. Wait a minute. Did you say denial? Did, did wait NCAA denial? No. The NCAA <laughs> is the most upstanding institution that ever has been created. There's never anything wrong. What could possibly go wrong? Oh yes, there have been some scandals along the way, but the NCAA there is to save the day and to save everything. Because let's face it, the NCAA stands for everything that is always right in the world. Yeah, okay. If you haven't figured it out out right now. Look, first let me get to Larry Brown. Larry Brown is a very, very good coach. I'll say that right now. He's a very, very good coach. But when it comes to college sports, if there anybody that can't trip over themselves more than Larry Brown, please raise your hand. UCLA... After he left probation, Kansas, after he left, came really, really close to the death penalty. Very close. But both times, he got out before the trouble hit the fan. Well, unfortunately, he got caught red-handed at SMU, and now he would be getting his comeuppance. He got the same suspension as Jim Beheim and they lost a year of eligibility for the postseason, and this was happened to be the year where SMU would have probably made some big noise in the NCAAs. Oh, well, this is what happens when you hire a free repeater of rules violations for schools. But you can't blame Larry Brown for taking the paycheck. you got to blame the athletic director and the board of trustees for saying, oh, we're going to pay Larry Brown, we're going to bring him in and turn everything around, and we're going to turn our, turn our noses away from the stench of what happened in UCLA and in Kansas, because that happened over 20 years ago. Don't matter. Wherever Larry Brown goes, there's always going to be trouble, and guess what? SMU got what it's deserved. They got in trouble. They got caught. End of story. Time for time for the next thing. With regards to the NCAA, guess what? They're a travesty. They're a sham, and they're a mockery. They're an absolute travesty, sham, mockery, dumpster fire of the hundredth degree. There's nothing that the NCAA can't do without screwing up. There's always something that's going to happen, whether it's football, basketball, wrestling, hockey, soccer, track and field. It doesn't matter. The NCAA will find a way to botch something left and right. You're exactly right. Central Florida got hit with major violation punishment for something that was minor as compared to what happened with Syracuse, what happened with North Carolina, what happened right now with SMU, what happened with every day with other schools. There is no rhyme or reason. Basically, I think it's like this. Investigation, okay, pick punishment out of hat. Pick the punishment out of hat. You ever watch South Park? You ever watch that show? Yes, I have. Do you remember the cartoon wars? Yes, I did. did. Well, I, I think I think the NCAA takes, takes notes from the uh, cartoon wars in regards to Family Guy. How do they get their penalty? They use a manatee. They have the manatee in the pool, and they have penalty balls and punishment balls, and they just randomly pick them. 
And that's how they figure out what the penalty was and what the punishment was. I'm just saying. There's no rhyme or reason to it anymore. I'm thoroughly convinced. And there will never be any rhyme or reason. Speaking of the NCAA, though. Oh, no! The Ninth Circuit came down with their decision. The Ninth Circuit pretty much said, hey, NCAA, you're antitrust. It's not going to fly anymore. But they did gain a small modicum of victory as they struck down Judge Wilkins' $5,000 payment to every athlete. We all know this is going to the Supreme Court in the United States. We all know that this is not going to die. So I say it was a win for the student-athletes in a way, and it was a win for the NCAA in a way. Both sides will probably claim victory. I'm just happy that the NCAA right now, their antitrust their antitrust exemption is about to go kaplooey. Can, can we do that for the NFL and the NBA and Major League Baseball, too, while we're at it? Uh, that'd be doing well, the world a favor. this is the thing, though, because if they go to the Supreme Court, do not be surprised if the major sporting organizations file what's called amicus briefs on behalf of the NCAA going, no, you can't get rid of their antitrust. No, it's going to set a precedent that's going to kill every sport on demand because, God forbid, we lose $20 billion. Combined and everything, licensing and TV rights and everything like that. Oh my God, the horror of it all! The horror of losing antitrust rights. What's going to happen to us? Nothing, because you're a multi-billion-dollar organization. You'll be able to survive without having antitrust rights. You friggin' fools. Oh, easily. Uh, and that's that's the thing about this that just blows my mind. And I was going to talk about the about some of the NFL and their financials later. Uh, but you're right. This is a win, a, a win for each side because that antitrust exemption could have some very beneficial uh, results for for current athletes. Uh, prior ones are out of luck at this point. Uh, with the decision being upheld, uh, being reversed on the payment uh, for players, uh, I don't see the past of the previous players getting anything out of this at this point. I, I think this is going to be for a going forward thing. What's currently standing now is what's already been passed. The universities can, can, not required, can give a cost of attendance stipend based on rent, food, uh, you know, and, and transportation, depending on where you are. Uh, this is a very and I'm, subjective I'm area. I'm actually perfectly fine with that. I am. What do you call it? If they want to give that stipend, guess what? That stipend can actually equal what Judge Wilkin was saying, $5,000. Now, she was putting $5,000 on top of, you know, uh, of that stipend. But that stipend alone could be worth $5,000. I'm perfectly fine with that. I just don't want to hear the universities all of a sudden say, well, i got to cut these programs because i got to pay my athletes. Well, guess what? These athletes you may have given scholarships to, but they still have to have money coming out of their pockets, and you treat them like friggin' pro athletes anyway because you use their likeness and everything like that and gain fees off that. You, you know, use their... Nick, Nick, you need two frames of thought on this. You have to have a frame of thought for the Power Five conference teams and a frame of thought for the Group of Five conference teams. 
the Power Five conference teams that make twenty million dollars a year plus on their media uh, on their um, television deals and everything uh, have no excuse in this area. Uh, they're the ones who are actually making the big dollars uh, off athletes. Uh, the little guys, not nearly as much. They're getting a pittance in comparison. So in this in this conversation, when you talk about this cost of attendance, it's extremely subjective. Uh, there is no real formula to come up with these numbers. Uh, basically, athletics tells people to randomly come up with stuff, and they do. And that's what they run with. Um, they're using that as a way to try and get the pay-for-play uh, loophole. Uh, they're trying to build a legal pony express uh, by by creating uh, working pools. Oh, well, our area is expensive. But what they don't tell you is, yeah, the athlete lives on campus, has unlimited access to our meal plan area, which is also a new change this past year, and, and does not actually require nearly as much of this money as we're giving them. And the amount that's given is not required uh, to be matched for every sport. Uh, in fact, Title IX is still up in the air of how this will really affect the women uh, because, let's face it, it's football, it's men's basketball. Those are the two that are driving this, and it's mostly football. Uh, so it, it's, it has the ability to, be very, to do some very corrupt, not ethical things. And I expect that to happen at some point. Yeah. <laughs> I ain't got nothing else to say about it. I really don't because it just it's it's sickening. It's sickening. And you know what just also made me sick? Notre Dame just lost twenty four to twenty two. Because Brian Kelly because Brian Kelly decided to go for two and instead of trying to throw the ball, he decided to use his backup quarterback to try to run an option. Brilliant freaking move against the against Clemson. Absolutely brilliant. How he came back to to even try to win this game, I don't know. I give them props to Notre Dame for fighting back. But once again, another Brian Kelly botch call, and we won't be seeing anybody on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. Thank you. Have a nice day. Well, I mean, you know, they they have touchdown Jesus. Well, well, God does did us a favor and took Notre Dame out of the equation. Uh, but let, let's be honest about this game, Nick. Clemson, uh, Clemson was there winning because of Notre Dame's mistakes, not the other way around. Clemson wasn't winning this game. Notre Dame was losing this game. Notre Dame's defense held Clemson to 300 total yards, but their offense had four turnovers. You lose the turnover battle that badly, you're not going to win. The, you're not going to win a game. Notre oh, yeah, Dame absolutely. was able. To, yeah, and, and Notre Dame tightened up in the second, in the fourth quarter. And, and pull, got the poop together and, and got to the very end. But you're right. Uh, it was a very questionable call on uh, a play call as far as that two-point conversion. Uh, this is the price they paid for trying to go for two earlier, and, and it backfired. Uh, they they tried to pass in the beginning of the fourth quarter and failed. If they didn't, if they were if they played it by the book and didn't go for two, then all they would have had to do is kick an extra point and go to overtime. Uh, they didn't do that. Well, you know what happened today, right? What? Well, you know what happened today. Today was like, you know, today was like the flambéing of top ten in college football. I mean, a well, complete flambéing. I, I mean, I, you had number one team in the nation almost lose to Indiana. 
They had hey, to stop at the end of the game. That is an unbeaten Indiana squad. That is an undefeated Indiana squad. They're, they're better than advertised. Right? And I you, almost threw had, it my You had the number two team in the nation scrap to a scrap to defeat Purdue. You had the number three team in the nation get destroyed by Flor- by what turns out to be is a really good Florida team, but still to be ranked number three to be to to be an embarrassment. You just had the number six team lose to well, it was a good game with Clemson. You had UCLA get blasted by uh, by Arizona State. I mean, you want to talk about the implosion of the top ten this early in the season? Well, you just saw it right here this week, week five. So, but, but Nick, Nick, you you missed a game that that this didn't happen in, but something else really funny did happen in, and I'm talking about the TCU Texas game. Number four TCU up thirty to nothing after the first quarter on the poor Longhorns. And, and just absolutely running them off the field by halftime. Uh, I, I checked this out. Actually, a player uh, tweeted about transferring at, at halftime. Basically, um, someone tweeted that, uh, that you know, about transferring, you know, whenever you all are ready to transfer, we're ready. And you know what? This, this Texas player retweeted that at halftime about transferring. <laughs> this is this is terrible. It's you know, funny, but it's terrible. You know, you know, I have to give. I, I want to give Charlie Strong the benefit of the doubt because he's still cleaning up the Mac Brown mess. But he's losing the recruiting battle to TCU, to Texas A&M. He's going to start losing the recruiting recruiting battle to Texas Tech soon. I don't know. I mean, you're talking about the most powerful university in the Big 12 money-wise and everything, all it takes is a couple of boosters to say boo, and this guy won't be able to finish his job. So let's everybody take a step off the ledge. This is only year two and a half in the Charlie Strong era. I understand it's win now these days, but let the guy do his job. That's all I'm saying. Oh, yeah, I forgot. You know, I always make fun of Dabo Sweeney, and he almost cost his team the game because he can't coach himself out of a paper bag, you know, with Clemson. So I expect him to get Dabo, you know, later this season. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of Dabo Sweeney. I'm certainly not a fan of Mark Richt. If there's a guy that is like the Marv Levy of college football right now, it's Mark Richt. If there's a guy that cannot win a big game, no matter how much is on the line, it's Mark Rick. And what happens today, he gets outcoached, outplayed, out everything by Satan himself, once again, Nick Saban. That's right, Alabama 38, Georgia 10. The game was in Georgia. Georgia was favorite. Why, Mark? Why? <laughs> Oh, this, this game was was ridiculous. Uh, you know, the passing for Georgia was just atrocious. Uh, you had to pick six in there. I mean, this is just a bad game. Uh, they scored in garbage time with uh, with Chubb, eighty three yards. He ended up with one hundred and forty six. You take that away, you know, nineteen rushes for under seventy yards, and they were just flat out slaughtered. Alabama exposed these guys as crowds. And to do it between the hedges uh, is just makes it even worse. It was twenty-four-three at halftime. I'm just 
Alabama finally pulled the, you know, called the dogs off in the fourth quarter, but they beat the tar out of these guys. It wasn't close. Yeah, well, what do you call it, 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 I just got nothing to say anymore about Georgia. I mean, great recruiting every year, great talent every year, play small every year. It's like rinse, wash, rinse, repeat. Wash, rinse, repeat. Top ten, lose, go play in the Florida Citrus Bowl type of deal. That's how much I feel about Georgia these days. Now, leave them, leave them in the South. <laughs> exactly. Now, you were talking about financials earlier, and uh, I saw some, some crazy financials when it came to the NFL. I mean crazy. I mean outlandish. I mean, this ain't your daddy's NFL anymore. Oh. oh, you 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 want me to talk about you? Uh, yes, sure. Well, what the oh, numbers? Oh. That's why they call you Stat Boy. <laughs> but, well, that that's true. Uh, and uh, for for numbers purposes, they aren't really revealing anything in this in this particular story. Uh, but the NFL, uh, upper brass owners and everything, want the players to help finance a new stadium in Los Angeles. Uh, this is ridiculous, beyond ridiculous. Um, there's been a couple of, uh, of potential sites in, in Carson and Inglewood, California, down in, in SoCal, that to, to build a stadium for probably either the Chargers or more likely the Raiders, because uh, Yoko, uh, you know, the, that old POS stadium, that thing's got to go. Um, but the fact that these billionaires want to charge players and have them help finance it, uh, there's something very wrong with that because unless you're planning to give the players equity in the team, you have no business charging them. It's like, And this is why I was happy when Miami originally said no to doing anything with Dolphin Stadium. Uh, as long as it's privately owned, the, the county, the state should invest nothing into it. You know, if you want public dollars coming into a stadium, public gets a piece of the profits, uh, which and doesn't happen. And this is why Stan Kroenke and the St. Louis Rams will be moving to Los Angeles because Stan Kroenke is going to pay for his own freaking stadium. He may use some public fundage, but he's not going to charge the players because, to me, it's another idiotic money grab by the NFL. You have billionaire owners that have enough liquid that can last a lifetime, and yet you still want to either rape the public for fundage or you want to go after the players. It is wrong. It is stupid. It is idiotic. If you can't afford to refund your own stadium, then guess what? You're staying where you are or just, re- or just do whatever you got to do to, to keep your team where it is, whether it be Oakland, whether it be San Diego, Jacksonville, it doesn't matter. If you're going to be crying poverty yet you're still making millions and millions and millions of dollars a year, then you don't. Then, then I, I can't help you. I really can't help you. We're going to overtime. So all those that are listening right now, if we get cut off, listen to the podcast because we ain't done here yet. All I know Ooh. is that it. 
up inside when a billionaire owner has to ask the public for a handout? Is, am I just missing something? Is there why they cannot fund their own stadium? Is it because their money's tied up elsewhere? I, that they can't afford the financing? I'm still trying to figure this out. You made your money in business. You made your money. You're, you're worth X amount of money. Is it really, are you really worth X amount of money, or is there something different? Is something being hidden? That's what boggles my mind when people have to say, oh, we need public funds to help build our stadium because we just have to. I, I just don't get it, Drew. I mean, it's something that, to this day, I'm still trying to figure out why you need to ask the public, the cities, the counties, whatever, to do I have an example for you. Uh, Jerry Richardson in Car- with the Carolina Panthers wanted to uh, renovate his 15, that's right, 15, 1-5-year-old stadium and threatened to move if he didn't get uh, a large amount of public support. And they end up giving it to him because he's a sniveling little creep. Uh, this is uh, this is what they do. Um, you know, Miami, uh, the Dolphins got all hopping mad. Going, oh well, you're not. We're never getting a Super Bowl here until you make these changes. Blah blah blah. Uh, you have, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers crying that their stadium, which is not even 20 years old yet, uh, needs reno- needs full renovations. I, this is just a, a ridiculous thing. I have a great example of how a game should be done, and I'm looking at Orlando City, the, the new, one of the newer MLS teams this year, uh, put forth in their bu- a, a request for state funding for their, their soccer stadium, uh, and it was ultimately vetoed by the governor here, Rick Scott. So what did Orlando City do? They didn't cry about being, you know, cry following it. You know what they did? They realized, hey, attendance is pretty good. We're going to increase the size of the stadium by 5,000, and we're going to finance it ourselves. That's how it's supposed to be done. They're putting their money where their mouth is. Uh, they decided they're not going to rely on the state or anyone else. They're going to take care of their own business and do this the right way. That's how it should be done. Uh, kudos to Orlando City uh, for you know, having the gumption, having the testicular fortitude to, and the, the business ethics to realize, hey, we have money and we're making money. Let's build this ourselves. We'll fully own it. We'll fully get the benefit of it. And no one is going to feel screwed by it because we did it ourselves. That's how it should be done. You know, when Joe Robbie built Dolphin Stadium by himself, then aptly named Joe Robbie Stadium, uh, he deserved every penny that came in because he built that himself. It's not like a publicly financed stadium and then the team negotiates to take all the money. Uh-uh. Doesn't work that way. You know, I remember when Joe Robbie built the stadium and they moved out of the, and when the Dolphins moved out of the uh, out of the Orange Bowl and you know, I was wondering at the time you know, that's how young I was, who Joe Robbie was. I didn't know Joe Robbie was the owner of the, of, the, of, of the Dolphins. Because in that day and age, there were only a few owners' names that you knew, which were Art Rooney, Wellington Mara, Al Davis, Tech Schramm. You know, you just knew, like, the main owners. This day and age, 
every owner has to get their, like, pound of flesh somewhere or somewhere along the line. And every owner has to, like, flaunt their greed, as they would say. No one flaunts their greed better than Jerry Jones and Jerry World and everything like that. But, you know, when you know how much your franchise is worth, when you know how much your personal value is worth, for you to go after the state or the county, the city, whatever it may be, for a handout, I'm sorry, it's just not worth it in this day and age. Not at all. No. With that being said, with that being said, we got one more topic that we should hit. Correct? Well, technically, there's a lot more, but we'll hit one more tonight, and we'll the other one we can carry for next week. Okay. Let's go. So uh, let's. Let's change degrees. Let's go to the NBA. Uh, October 1st has passed, and and before I talk about the glass one, I'm going to talk about Tristan Thompson. Uh, this has been a, uh, a somewhat of a, a circuit where Chris Broussard came out and showed his lack of journalistic integrity by claiming a deal was in place for Tristan Thompson to be signed by the Cleveland Cavaliers only to be proven that he's full of crap and he was just a soundboard for the agent saying they're willing that the uh, player, Trump Thompson, was willing to agree to this. Well, that's a, cra- a can of, uh, of BS that uh, has angered a lot of people. October 1st has passed. Tristan Thompson did not accept the qualifying offer and is in full holdout mode. The Cavaliers have taken his picture down at, in Cleveland and his uh, his jersey's off the website. Uh, he's technically not part of the roster, so I but I don't see that being a, a question there. Uh, but it does show the Raiden move on without him. What I read was interesting on this. Thompson can either sign a new contract with the team, sign an offer sheet with another team that the Cavaliers can match, or he can hold out. But here's the thing. He screwed himself over. Because the next time a qualifying offer can be, be sent out is in March, and if he doesn't take any qualifying offer, he's a un, he's a restricted free agent again next summer. Uh, Rich Paul is the agent for LeBron James, but I think he's totally screwed this one up. Well, what do you think, Nick? I think Tristan Thompson screwed this up. I don't think Rich Paul screwed this up. I think Tristan Thompson is pretty much has overvalued himself to the point of no return, that he believes the delusions of grandeur that is in his head. His agent probably did have a deal in place for him going, look, I got you this, take it, you're still going to be young enough in a couple of years to get that big deal. Just continuously prove yourself. You're with a good team in Cleveland, the team that went to the finals last year, that looks like they can go to the finals again in the next two to three years. You're playing with possibly the the greatest player on the planet in this day and age. What is wrong with you? I feel I'm worth max money. You're getting max money. You're just not getting five, six years. You're getting it in three years. Well, I feel that I'm worth five years, $90 million. They're not going to give it to you. Oh, well, I'm going to sit out. Well, guess what? Cleveland's like, okay, you want to sit out? Take away all your stuff. Get rid of your face off the off the off the, off the uh, stadium uh, stadium walls. Take out all your, uh, your your jerseys. We don't even want to uh, say that you exist. 
this is why sometimes to me athletes have to stop thinking they're worth more than what they are. It's a guarantee. It's not like the NFL. This is a guaranteed contract that you're going to get for three years. Take the money and get your payments later. Or you could be stupid enough to say, I'm looking forward to my next contract in 2017, and then a day later, get a broken orbital ball. Oh, wait, that's right. Derek Rose. <laughs> you won the MVP in 2011. You won the MVP, and for the next three years, you've played in 34% of the games. Say it! Say it! All right. You're brittle. You're <laughs> Sam Bowie reincarnate. You're Greg Oden now these days. And for you to but sit you, there you out of for you to sit there at a press conference and all of a sudden say, well, I'm looking forward to my next contract in 2017, do you know what you just did? You pretty much alienated the Chicago Bulls. You pretty much slapped the face of the Chicago Bulls fan base. And your teammates accidentally caused an accident in practice in which you broke an orbital bone and you're going to be out for two to three weeks. And it was even more daunting when your teammates pretty much did not say, oh, we're sorry that Derek got hurt. Silence is deafening, young man. You don't, you're, look, you're a talented player. You need explosion. You, need, you are, what do you call, when, when, and that's now when you're healthy, you, become, you are one of the most dangerous players on the court in the NBA. But my God, when you've only played 30% of the games in the last three years and your team is still winning without you, you do not come out and say, I'm looking forward to my next contract. Sir, that was wrong. It's wrong. Uh, but but to clarify, Nick, as far as his return, he'll return to the team this week, but he won't be able to actually be active in practice for another week and a half. Uh, well, yeah, about a week and a half, about 10 days, uh, because of, of, of the surgery that he had. But apparently there's a lot to take in in this, in this new, t- you know, new uh, offensive and defensive setup. You know, Fred Hoiberg uh, uh, said there's a lot to learn. Uh, this is uh, not Tom Thibodeau's team anymore. So, you know, Derrick Rose got a learning curve here. Uh, you better get his poop together, or, or Joe Kim Noah will be annoying to him as well, for he is annoying to all. Look, Derrick Rose is lucky if he's even going to step on the court, because once he does, he's going to, he's going to complain about a hangnail. But I digress. Anyway, <laughs> we went into overtime tonight, ladies and gentlemen, because that was your news of the week. This is something that we're going to be doing Week in, week out, giving you our takes on everything that happens in the world of sports, whether it be current or something that happened earlier in the week. And we do hope you enjoyed that segment. But alas, ladies and gentlemen, it is time to depart the premises. My name is Nick Piccarelli. I am the mad scientist of sports. You can find me live on Twitter at NAF underscore inscriber. That's at NAF underscore inscriber. You can also find the Inscriber Magazine radio page live on Facebook. And 
You can listen to this lovely show on various networks, as I stated earlier earlier today, in this uh, network, like I-95 Sports, War Room Sports, the Arena Sports Network, Nuts and Bolts, Die Hard Sports Radio, Late Night Sports Radio, Cave Sports Radio, the Asylum Sports Network, you name it, it's all there, ladies and gentlemen, for for you to listen to your for your uh, listening pleasure, as they would say. Drew, take us home. All right, my name is Andrew Glukov. You can find me on Twitter at StatboyDrew, and you can catch me on all those lovely networks that Nick has so eloquently given to you before. And I've got some new stuff coming on the uh, Sky's the Limit radio network. Um, but uh, it hasn't quite happened yet, uh, but it, it's coming. I'm very, very excited on that one. Uh, but uh, I'll, I'll get more information and, and prop my chest and promote myself when, when it's all finalized. And, and you do know that when that happens, you are going to have a guest show up once in a blue moon for Sky's the Limit because it's the old WTMY crew. And uh, what do you call it? those guys were a riot when they were when they were on air back in the in Sarasota back in the day. And uh, I'm glad that they're coming back, you know, stronger and better than ever. And that's something that I'm definitely looking forward to. With that being said, it's time to tone down the beacons. It's time to erase the chalkboard and get ready for some new experiments. And of course, next week some more test subjects will be rolling in here. My name is Nick Ficarelli. He's Andrew Glukoff. This was the Mad Scientist Sports Lab for for this week. We'll see you live, uncensored, next week, 10 p.m. Eastern Time, 7 p.m. Pacific. Until that time, the lab is officially closed. Good night, ladies and gentlemen. of a drill instructor directing a musical. Town hut! Get those tap heels in line and let me see those jazz hands! Are you bundling your home and auto insurance through Progressive? Can you hear me through those sequins? Bundle your home and auto through Progressive and save. Left, left, left and step ball change. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates. Home insurance provided and serviced by other select insurers.